this is a new day. Jams, and this program was designed just for you, to take you closer to God, to take you closer to what God has for you, and to answer some of your vexing questions. May you listen carefully and also open your heart to the Word of God. This anointed vessel of God, no other than the Reverend Jackie McCullough, put your hands together, give God the praise for her. If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to St. Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to start reading at verse 32, the 32nd verse, St. Mark the 7th chapter. And I'm going to end at verse 37. Here beginneth the reading of God's holy word. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment. Thank you very much. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue were loose, and he spake plainly. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And the subject is really taken from Verse 34, be opened, be opened. Now we're, we're in the Gospels, we're in the Gospels, we're in the Gospel according to St. Mark, but the four Gospels really are designed to tell you about Jesus' earthly ministry. Now Christ is mentioned throughout the 66 books, but Jesus is talked about in the four Gospels. This is the incarnate God, this is Emmanuel, God with us. This is God in the flesh. This is Jesus, two natures, one being. This is, this is Jesus who was in the flesh yet without sin. So the four gospels tell you about his life, his accomplishments, his purpose, the miracles, the events surrounding his, his, his earthly ministry. Then of course his perpetuous death uh, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So if you want to know anything about Jesus 
unearth the historical Christ, the Christ that even the Muslims have to reckon with. You go to the Gospels. Now Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels and perhaps he wrote his Gospel a little later because he was not among the 12. Remember Jesus in his second year of earthly ministry chose 12 men such as Peter, John, James, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, and he trained these guys and they became the apostles, the founding fathers of the church. Mark, however, stuck with Peter, and we know Peter became a great prolific preacher, a preacher who could defend the, the, the credibility and the identity of Jesus. Peter, who was in the inner circle, who was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, who denied him and yet got a promotion when Jesus came back and said, meet me in Galilee. So Peter had a very intimate relationship with Jesus, and he could speak about what Jesus taught. As John said, we handled him, and we touched him. So this is not secondhand. We were there. So Mark probably got most of his information from Peter. Thus he wrote the gospel according to St. Mark. Now each of these guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote to different audiences. So they had different themes. They had a special message they wanted to get to their audience. Just like when, you, when a pastor or a preacher uh, goes to a, a church, he preaches his message differently according to the audience. I mean, you ought to have enough sense to do that you can't preach the same message the same way for different audiences. Some, or else you'll lose them. You've got to size up the audience and know that some place you can't squall, some place you can't say hallelujah, and some place you better squall as they're not going to listen to you. But anyway, you've got to know your audience. Mark's audience was mainly Gentiles. What we mean by Gentiles, non-Jews. People who probably did not have any familiarity with the covenant. They were not familiar with, with a relationship with Jehovah. They were alien. They were estranged from, from Judaism. And they, they probably worship, but they worship pagan gods. So they were considered as people who were not sophisticated religiously. So Mark had to give information to these people who were not familiar. You see, talking to the Jews, like on the day of Pentecost, Peter didn't really have to preach that much because he was not preaching to, to raunchy sinners. These people already had a relationship with God. They already had Abraham as their father. They already had the Mosaic Covenant. So they had some knowledge. They had some background. So when Peter got up to preach, it clicked immediately. It made sense to them. But to a Gentile, he had to, Mark had to approach them from a different vantage point. So he wrote his gospel portraying Jesus as a suffering servant, as a, as, as a God who had a human heart who was able to touch pain and touch suffering and, and bring healing to humanity and who was willing to say like Isaiah, to do like Isaiah said, and he was wounded for our transgression and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we're healed. That's why during Good Friday and Passion Week, most of our texts and sermons come from the book of Mark because he gives a description about Jesus' time of passion and, and time of suffering. 
morning. So he was talking to the Gentiles. Now he didn't spend a lot of time about who begot who. That's Matthew. He's talking to Jews. And he wanted to prove that legitimately Jesus came from a lineage coming out of the, the lineage of David, coming out of the tribe of Judah. So he is the legitimate Messiah. He had a case to defend. Mark wanted to show Jesus came and he was on a mission, on a mission, on a mission. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And there's nothing that's wrong with you that Jesus can't fix it. No matter how far down you are, he'll pick you up. So Mark takes you immediately into Jesus's public ministry. Skips over his birth, skips over his genealogy. And here he is, Jesus, not a lazy Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing lazy about Jesus. I don't know why we have such lazy folk in the church, but Jesus was not lazy. And he was not slowful. So you hear Mark using such, such adverbs as straightway and immediately and instantly. That means he's on the case, he's on the case, he's on the case. A lot to do and a short time to do it. And in case you think you have a whole lot of time, you better get in a hurry. I must work the work of him that sent me. My God, next thing you know, you turn around, you're on crutches, in wheelchair, on that bed, can't do nothing. So you better do it while you have energy. You better do it while you have your right mind. You better do it while you have the activities of your limbs. Jesus was moving expeditiously, accomplishing his father's will. Here we have, in this particular text, his Galilean ministry. And Jesus thoroughly saturated the area called Galilee. And the people who responded to him most were the common people. And that's one of the reasons why the Jews resented Jesus, because he touched people such as you and I. He didn't come to sit up with long phylacteries and pray long prayers and slip in the synagogue and pontificate and make impressions. You know, like folk like to do, dress up and make impressions. He came to roll up his sleeve. Amen. We were very, very privileged. Your pastor was one of the pastors and who supported us with our, with our um, um, missionary venture to Jamaica, October 27th through November 1st. We were able to take over 300 people into Montego Bay, and we were able to take almost 30 medical people. They were all saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, dentists, doctors, nurses, nurse technicians. And we were able to screen successfully over 3,000 people. We took over $250,000 worth of medication. And we, were, we set up a clinic right in the middle of Montego Bay. A clinic second to none. A pharmacy better than Rite Aid. Amen. And we were able to minister to those people. And people as far as from Alaska to Alabama, from UK, all the way across Amsterdam, Holland. And, and, and people came from everywhere. And they came and they roll up their sleeves. We didn't have any prima donnas or any princes, any cutie pies. We have people who were ready to work. Amen. People got up 6 o'clock in the morning. People who sat in pews just like yourself and just got entertained and tickled fancy. Their fancies were tickled and, and, and just watch other people perform. We're able to get in it, get in it and touch people's lives. 700 people got saved. 175 people got the Holy Ghost. I mean, we had a time in Jamaica. Amen. We're going back July 18th. We're going to triple our staff. We're going to triple our medical team. And the, the people down there are waiting for us. This is our hometown, see? So we know the needs of our people, and we know what our people need. And it was a blessing. People came back changed. There's nothing more magnificent than knowing that you contributed to the change in somebody's life. 
If, you, if some of us died today, nobody would remember us because we gave up nothing. We gave up nothing, nothing. We haven't given anybody nothing, just me, myself, and my Holy Ghost. And how unfortunate. And you take your wonderful self to the grave and nobody remembers you. But if you ever get up and touch somebody else, tell somebody, touch somebody else, touch somebody. If you ever decide to do ministry, tell somebody, do ministry, do ministry. Amen. And I love choirs and I love usher boards and I love nurses and all of that. But there's more to it than choirs and usher boards and nurses. Amen. Amen. If I could just help somebody as I travel along. Well, we're going to leave that alone. Now, Jesus now is doing ministry. He's, he's touching the common people. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he became so powerful and effective. He became so popular. And people hate you when you're effective. As long as you're not doing anything, they leave you alone. So if people are persecuting you, feel good about it because you must be doing something right. If they're talking about you and giving you hell, you must be doing the Father's business. Amen. Amen. So he became... He became popular, but the hostility grew. Where did the hostility come from? Not from the Roman government, not from the Gentiles, but from the traditional Jewish community. He was a threat. But you see, that's what Jesus intended to be. He came to be a threat. He didn't come to be passive. That, that, that passive Jesus that you see painted on Mickey, Michelangelo's painting with his head turned to the side. I don't know what that is, but that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. The Jesus of the Bible is aggressive, moving passionately to accomplish the will of the Father. So all you indifferent, passive folk that just sit in the seat and wave your hand and say hallelujah, we know you're not in it, you're not in it, but we're looking for an army, an army, an army. Tell somebody I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm in it. And because he was accomplishing his father's business, he became the target of people's hostility and they wanted to get rid of him prematurely. Prematurely because they could not kill him until he had accomplished his will, the Father's will. So I'm here to tell you that even though people hate you and set you up, they cannot get rid of you. They cannot stomp you out until you accomplish the Father's will. Amen. I know they wish you were dead, but tell them too bad, honey, too bad. Eat your heart out, I'm still here, I'm still here. Herod also became very concerned because of his popularity. So the political government or the political, the people in politics became concerned and the people in the religious arena became concerned. So Jesus now had to move away from Galilee and go into another area. So four times in the Bible, you see Jesus moving away from Galilee and he's moving away because he cannot be killed or destroyed before his time. So Jesus now is celebrating in this text the Passover. It's about the time of the Passover and it's mandated to be celebrated in Jerusalem but because he did not want to be killed, stoned, or accosted, he celebrated the Passover in Galilee. And you would think they would leave him alone. They came 180 miles from Jerusalem to Galilee just to mess with Jesus. You know, folk, they're obsessed with you. You don't know how many people stay up at night worrying about you. You sleep. Just sleep. And they can't hardly stay off the phone for talking about you. Huh? They're preoccupied. You must be somebody dangerous. Tell somebody I'm dangerous. <laughs> Jesus now 
because he wanted some peace and quiet. Remember, he wanted to instill some things in his disciples. It required teaching. So he took his disciples to run away from the heat. Now, even Jesus moves away from stressful situations. You cannot stay in constant confrontational situations and do the will of God. Every now and then, you got to leave them folk alone. Let me folk. Every now and then. Every now and then, you got to take a trip. Take a trip. Amen. Because they will take your energy. They will cause you to miss your focus. Tell somebody, I got to be focused. I got to be focused. I got to be focused. Now, Jesus went. Here is Galilee. Here is Galilee. Now, you can, you can check your map. This, this ain't no great revelation. It's in the back of your Bible. Here is Galilee. And way up north is Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon is not Jewish territory. Tyre and Sidon is strictly Gentile territory. Jews don't go up there for vacation. You understand? They don't go up there to rest. They don't go up there to do business because they consider the Gentiles as dogs and they consider that as paganistic, heathenistic area, area where people live in, in, a, in a lewd, low-life way. So they don't go up there. But area and that always you know seems to puzzle me that that's the area that Jesus would leave his own his place of familiarity the nation that he came to and go to a strange nation that's why he said in John and I came to my own and my own received me not but as many as received me I give them power to become the sons of God so so Jesus is going to an area that it is so anti-Judaism anti-traditionalism it's just anti-everything that they believe I'm sure it earthly their spirits but that's where Jesus went to spend time with his disciples so he could have time to teach them so he could come away from the confrontational picky attacking uh, uh, coming after him twisting his words trying to set him up my god you know how the folk work it you know how they work it you know how they work it. you know how some of you all work it some of you are anyway he went and as he went up there even though this was a gentile area the news of jesus the reputation of jesus uh, went before him because you see jesus had now been established as a, a miracle worker as a healer his his reputation now is that he's an all ordinary man there's something unusual about him that that whatever he does he does it so well he brings life to the lifeless he, he commands the blind to see and the lame to walk oh come on that's the Jesus that you serve I, I don't know what Jesus you serving but this Jesus is an awesome Jesus he's he's a Jesus that can do absolutely anything and that there is nothing impossible for him whatever is wrong with you in here tonight he can take care of it he can take care of it I believe that's why you put your clothes on and came in here tonight because you know that Jesus can take care of it the Bible tells us that when he got there he had some encounters such as a Syrophoenician woman you know that whole story and this woman he just approached Jesus and called on him Jesus thou son of David recognized him and and, and worshiped him and as a result she got her miracle and the Bible said now that they brought they brought and, and this fascinates me because you know when I grew up when I grew up in the church in Harlem I just went by there the other day and and it's a foot stomping hand clapping tongue talking church you know what I'm saying I went there 
for the other day as a reunion and the piano is still there with all the keys missing. But anyway, that's my church. That's my church. Don't y'all talk about my church. Anyway, but, but I grew up in, in, in that atmosphere. And when we got saved, the mothers of the church who were really the power brokers of the church, they, they, they would tell us that the way we know you're saved, little girl, is when you go and bring somebody. Now, now we know that's outdated. That's not high tech. For you come in church and you get dunk and dip and speak and you come back by yourself. You drive your wonderful cars by yourself. You don't bring. We were, we were taught to be obsessed with soul winning. We, we were taught that, 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 that God was pleased when you brought somebody to him. We were taught that the mark of your growth in the Lord is when you go and get somebody ye have not chosen me but I have chosen you come on you weren't looking for God he went and found you that you may go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit may remain that whatsoever you ask of the father he may give it to you but today we have such a selfish gospel and we, we have such a theology of individualism that you come to church looking for your own little private sermon and I must cater to your own little hurt and I must isolate your own little abuse all of us been abused honey every last one of us the devil kicked all of us around ain't no private sermon in here the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the rich and the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the poor and the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the young and the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the old and he came so that men and women can have deliverance and it's your responsibility to bring somebody you think this place is filled tonight we should have people hanging from the ceiling we should have people standing on the outside you should have brought 10 people with you you should have had five rows sectioned off on Sunday morning your whole family your drunken uncle your mad aunt your crazy grandmother everybody up in here that's right Verse 32, and they bring unto him, my God, the value of life, human life. We're so concerned about our position. We're concerned about our job. We forget people. Jesus was a people's person. He came to invest in people. You know, our churches should look good. We should have carpets and pews and the edifice should be clean. Everything should be nice. But there's nothing more important in the eyes of God than people. He didn't come for sticks. He didn't come for stones. We need it. But he came for people. And they bring unto him, my God. They brought this man who could not come on his own. He needed somebody to invest in him. Somebody to take an interest in him. That's why you're depressed. You're too selfish. That's why you need another prophecy. Because you're stuck on yourself. But that's why you need somebody to lay hands on you because it's all about you the devil is a liar there's somebody else in the world besides you tell your neighbor somebody else somebody else somebody else. they brought unto him one that was death now we all know what that means this man was not was not just it was not spiritually deaf you know in, in in revelation it says he that hath an ear let him hear he's talking about the ability to hear spiritually no we're talking about this man having a physical handicap he could not physically hear now i can hear and many of you in here we have may have a deaf ministry in here but i can't even imagine my ears were stopped up the other day coming from trinidad and i was a miserable soul miserable because i want to hear everything don't 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 try to talk in my presence and, and not let me hear because i get paranoid so the gift of hearing it's a gift 
may be broke, but you can hear. Uh, maybe you have hell in your house, but thank God you can. Uh, so many of us can't even imagine what it is for people to be talking and you can't hear them. This man lived in a world of silence, ladies and gentlemen. People could be saying things against him and plotting against him and he wouldn't have the ability to hear them. And hearing is attached to your spirituality because without hearing you can't have faith. Faith commit by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So this man was physically impaired and spiritually blocked. And then he had another problem. He had an impediment in his speech. Now, now, if he was dumb, I mean, that would be bad, but at least you wouldn't expect anything of him in terms of verbal communication. But to have the apparatus and it's not working correctly can be more frustrating than not having the ability in the first place. Oh, Lord, we have so many examples that we can draw from. We ain't going there tonight. But to have the apparatus, ladies and gentlemen, it ain't working can be frustrating. This man had the ability to say something, but it never came out right. This man could use his tongue and his teeth. And the words could be formed, but they were never clear enough. So communication was in trouble. And you know when you don't have proper communication, you're limited, you're limited. We're talking about restriction. We're talking about limitations. We're talking about impediments. And I believe that God sent me here tonight to confront the spirit of limitation and the spirit of impediment and the spirit of restriction. You have all the opportunity, all the possibility, all the potential, but you can't move and you can't grow and you can't get where you got to go. The devil is a liar. God is able to set us free. Come on and put your hands together and let me hear your praise he had an impediment a blockage a restriction in his speech now now this when you have these kinds of handicap it affects you psychologically anyone who is handicapped has associated illnesses that means that when you're deaf you have to depend on somebody to try to interpret it for you so you become dependent or you become co-dependent. And if you can't talk, you're constantly being asked, what did you say? That alone frustrates you. So his level of frustration now is high. He's constantly being challenged. He's constantly being asked. He's constantly being reminded that he's not speaking well. And people can be nasty when they know you're handicapped. Keep people can be cruel when they know that you're doing something and you're not doing it well. People find those things funny. You know, some of you have a very sick sense of humor. You only find people's handicaps funny. Your humor is so deprived and you're so impoverished yourself that you can only laugh when somebody falls and laugh when somebody's fat and laugh some when somebody got a problem. You can't laugh no other time. And if you look in the mirror, you should laugh all day long. Impediment. He's carrying around a handicap in his speech 
Now, communication is a powerful thing. The ability to conceive ideas, to, to, to have thoughts, and, and to be creative, and to have intelligence, to decipher concepts, and, and to catalog and categorize ideas, and not being able to express them. My God, that's almost suicidal. To be brilliant and be conceived as dumb. To have ideas and never have a chance to put them in motion. That is suicide. Ah, and the devil has sent out spirits and the assignment of the enemy has come to tie some of us up. That we are walking around as brilliant people, as people of possibility, and yet we are stuck. But tonight, tell your neighbor tonight, 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 tonight. I believe that God has you on his agenda. Oh, somebody help me up here. Come on and put your hands together and let me hear you say glory. Come on and praise. I'm deaf, I can't hear. My tongue is tied up. I can use it, but I'm not making sense. Trying to get a thought across and it can't come out right. Trying to get ahead and it seems like I'm hitting and missing every time. Trying to move forward and I'm making 10 paces backwards. Thinking that I'm in one place and wake up and find out I'm still on a dead-end street. Oh, come on here. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. Come on and tell your neighbor. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. And that's why the Holy Ghost came in here, came in here tonight to confront that spirit in your mind, in your body, in your emotions. Oh, I need somebody to help me. Come on and put your hands together. I need a praise in this house. <laughs> 